Um, hi, this is the intro of Creatoring, <laughs> the show, the podcast, the one that's your favorite, the one that uh, talks to people that make things about how they make things, and you can listen to it when you want to. I'm Zach. I'm Courtney. How's it going? Ah, I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing great. Um, I'm tired. I think we recorded late. This is the latest we've recorded since. Yeah, I'm uh, a little loopy. I usually go to. <laughs> I hit a wall at 10 p.m. It's almost 10:30. <laughs> and then last night, uh, you, Beth, and I were playing Stardew Valley until like 10:30. this time. Beth was just clearing trees out, tearing up rocks. You're mm-hmm. flirting with Elliot, and I'm trying to get seeds planted. Yeah. Getting coral. <laughs> I gotta make the friends. I'm the PR person. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the village. We named our farm Game of Farms, which, and then it's yeah. just a bunch of freelancers trying to run mm-hmm. a farm, making freelance jokes about how little we make every yeah. day. Just like. It's probably why I haven't had a like a freelance job in a month and a half now. Selling too many parsnips. God. Man, the the economy sucks, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just trying to laugh to make the pain less from yeah. how much work I'm not getting. If you guys need a motion designer, let me know, please. Um so <laughs> today in our episode, we are going to hang out with Nikki Litz a fine artist and very not funny person who lives in uh, Rhode Island near Boston. Right? Yeah, that's true. Good job. (laughs) Hi, guys. She's eavesdropping. Yeah, on our intro. Where we talk about her. Uh, Not awkward at all. (laughs) We talk about... The dogs, mm-hmm. the business of painting and being an artist, the crossover with the design a little bit. Yeah, um, and how the worlds are different from each other, like what you can learn from each one. Gender issues, race issues, you know, really simple, not heavy stuff. And no, no, no. Uh, it's a fun conversation. I think you guys will like it because these are the conversations you listen to us to hear. I think all 10 Maybe. of you. Um, you can send any angry emails you have to creatoringshow at gmail.com and I will send them directly to the trash. But, um, but, uh, if you have any nice things to say, you can just keep them to yourself and tell your friends about the show and, uh, enjoy this conversation. Yeah. Check it out. Good. Did you do the painting behind you? Yeah, it's an in-progress piece. Ta-da! It's really cool. It's like ink with threes. Um, direction. So I did a thing on another canvas I hated um, where I just like dumped paint on the canvas and then folded it over and did like the thing. 
Like and, a Rorschach test? Yeah, kind of like that. And then um, the painting still was a piece of shit. So I took my favorite little section, my favorite little mark from that, and made a transfer. And now I'm trying to make a system that will contain this one particular mark that does look like a three mm. um, and make it into not a piece of shit. I think it looks cool. Thanks. Yeah, it is like a Rorschach test. You're like, what do you think today? Math. Okay. You got it right. <laughs> <laughs> like angelic threes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you make different forms. It kind of looks like an angel panda bear. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Or sad. Oh, I Depending don't on how you feel about pandas. Oh, I like pandas. I don't see a panda, and I don't feel sad when I look at it. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't show you guys my work. Maybe I should go hide in the corner. <laughs> We, we won't acknowledge it anymore. <laughs> You're also a psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Because that's another piece that's going to go up in a, like a hotel or hospitality situation. So this is a personal piece. Um, I've been like picking up a lot of momentum lately on my personal work because the business stuff is quiet. Um, mm -hmm. So this is hope, something I'm hoping to be like one of my big showcase pieces and um, create a bunch of marketing materials that I'll take to trade shows and market to interior designers and then to other hospitality art agencies as like things that they can have me create. Very cool. Okay. So, so more of a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Yep. That'll just look dope as shit in your house later. That's yeah. right. Yep one so kind of for any listeners who may not know who you are give them just a little little taste of the background Whew, okay um so my name is nikki litz i live now in providence rhode island um i'm a painter and a business owner um originally from raleigh from the raleigh aiga family and Creative South Peoples. That's how I know Zach and Courtney. Um, and I think that sums it up. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And you have dogs? I do. I have dogs. I have two dogs. I have a crazy old Chihuahua Rat Terrier mix who's now exhibiting signs of dementia. And then I have a really sweet rescue uh, Shepherd Hound mix who is named Fenrir. And that is like not appropriate name for him at all. He's really sweet. He's not scary at all. Very small and quiet. Um, who? Not, not quiet. Oh yeah, not not quiet. Yeah, not tricky, not bitey. Um, just wants to like hang out with you all the time. So sweetie. Yeah. Courtney's describing your dogs for you, and I'm just like, mm -hmm. when did you meet her dogs? I don't think I've ever actually met your dogs. I just hear about them all the time. <laughs> it's really sweet. Like, there was one time, I think it was Finn, or was it Sunny? Who was it? Who got his leg stuck in the seatbelt in the back of your car? That oh, was no. Finn. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. This was maddening. I, um, I was trying to take Finn for, like, a trail run, and... Uh, he's terrible in the car. Like he just walks around and screams in your ear. So I had his harness on and I tried to tie him to uh, like a piece of my car, <laughs> the inside of the hardware. And by the time, like I was going down a single lane road and um, to get to the parking lot of the trailhead. And when I like, I was 
almost to the parking spot and he was like had wrapped himself up so badly that he had like his neck like almost touching his knee and then like if he pulled on anymore like he was gonna snap his like he had his leg all wrapped up in it and I had to like stop the car in the middle of the road and get him unwrapped while he was freaking out about trying to get out of the car (laughs) it was a fucking shit show (laughs) He's yeah. such a jerk. There's so much enthusiasm. <laughs> oh, it's <was> so embarrassing. <laughs> there are people like trying to park and stuff and like listening to my dog scream in the car while I was. Yeah. <laughs> Is that oh. your son? No, it's just my dog. <laughs> it's my dog who's an idiot. <laughs> Do you ever think that sometimes leaving the dog in the car with the windows rolled up when it gets hot might be the best thing for the dog? <laughs> um, no, but I do have dreams constantly where I um, lose them. <laughs> I lose both my dogs. And now my our roommate has a dog, so we have like three dogs in the house, and I have dreams about losing her as well. So... It's like my my anxiety repeating dream as I I dream about losing the dogs. Is losing the dog or having them get tangled in the seatbelt again? <laughs> it's like every, it's every version of um of screwed upness. So like I will leave them parked on a highway with the windows wide open, or I will um just be really negligent and like walk away from the house for several days and come back to like a bloody mess in the yard because like everyone's dead and injured. Um, I travel a lot in my dreams and like lose the dogs on my travels and then like (laughs) realize it after I'm like two stops down and I'm like, Oh crap. I left my dogs like back in two States ago. We have to go back and get them. So if anyone listening to this right now has any like deep insights into this, um, at Nikki Litz on Instagram. <laughs> you can also see pictures of my dogs there. Yeah, tag us in that. I want to know the like the dream meaning behind this, like how that fits into your what is it INFJ personality? Like somehow that has to play into this, right? Uh, I'm sure it does. Yeah. And then you have the angel dog three behind you. (laughs) It's coming out in your artwork. Like your intuition showing itself. Just let us keep making jokes about your deep insecurity and terrible (laughs) nightmares. I think it's my my anxiety. So, yeah. yeah. I I could never, I mean, I don't have kids. So, and if I had them, I just dread the kind of dreams I would have. Speak. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but the seatbelt thing almost happened exactly the exact same way to both of my kids who were taking them to school. They have new seatbelts and our new um, like booster seats. They're like it's not a booster seat; it pulls the seatbelt down to their lap instead of lifting them up to the seatbelt. Yeah. And they were in my in Bethany's uh, work van. So they can't open the door. They can't get out of the seatbelt. My son, Beth, described this scene to me. He's like halfway out. He's got the seatbelt like under his leg and it's pulled up to his <laughs> to like his armpits. And then like the teacher's assistant. Like, man, it's... Yeah. Don't, don't have kids. If you do. Don't, don't put them in cars and seatbelts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah.
don't have dogs either, apparently, because they did the same things. Yeah, dogs are kind of a mess. I mean, but you can't teach them not to, like, you know, puke on the floor. And um, Well, I mean, I, I suppose it happens, but at least you can tell your kid at some point. Like, <laughs> the objective is to aim for the toilet or the bucket I've given you. Yeah, um, if you teach a dog how to not throw up on the floor, you'd probably have a lot more money. That's right. I wouldn't be making art. Definitely not. <laughs> I'd be on a boat. <laughs> I'll see if I can put that song in here, but I probably can't get the rights for it. Um, now, I'm trying to think of how to ask this question without sounding like a total asshole, but... Bring on the asshole. Why do you come to Creative South? Hmm... Like, I know at this point, it's probably just to see friends and cool speakers, right? Like, the occasional cool speakers. Sure, yeah. What what brought you there in the first place? Um, so, I think uh, AIGA, like, being a part of that community, like, really cemented. There was a long period of my history where I was working as a designer, but I didn't understand that what I, that's what I was doing. Um, like what, what kind of design stuff? So um, my first job out of graduate school was working as at an arts council as the okay. uh, doing uh, the exhibitions and the education programming. But we were only a staff of three, and I also ended up doing the marketing <laughs> and all of that stuff. So um, I taught myself design. I, I like, you know, there's this weird thing that, like, if – when you're a young designer or a young artist, I feel like you can go back and forth between art and design and it's like not a big deal. Um, and I taught myself enough to get by in that situation. And then as I continue to grow in my career and have jobs with people and bosses, um, the design just kept growing as part of something I was doing until one day I, um, I realized I didn't really know anybody else who did a lot of, like who did design and I needed felt like I really needed to kind of check in and be like, I don't know if I'm a shit designer. I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe somebody can teach me some of this shit. And um, I went to an AIGA meeting and I think I went once and then like walked away for a while, but then came back to it and like just, you know, the way it always goes, like with the Raleigh chapter, you, they're like, hey friend. And you're like, yes, friend forever. Um, <laughs> I learned I was an in-house designer basically. Um, oh. And that I had access to all these people suddenly who did the same thing I did. So um, they all liked it, though. I did not. <laughs> um, I do want to point out to anybody, like, there was a time, I guess, in the early 2000s. It's probably happened forever, where a lot of designers will call themselves artists. Like you were talking about, you can kind of go back and forth when you're younger in your career. But there was a time where everybody's like, no, I'm an artist. This logo is art. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But you're like a real no shit artist. <laughs> Actually, I paid a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Brushes and canvas and everything. You're not, you don't make a custom font in Illustrator. And then just in case anybody's confused. Yes. Yes. You're an actual talented artist <laughs> and not just calling yourself that yeah I, I think once you've sold a piece to a hotel you can actually call yourself an artist you know, you've blessed your chops right <laughs> yeah I, I feel like I still am but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I um I went to graduate school for art um my folks were like just get a graduate degree it's amazing you'll work hard and it's definitely yeah not well <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know if it would have been better English. I, sometimes I joke around. I'm like, I joke around about my expensive education that led me to, um, you know, here now, but like a couple years ago, it was like, yep, I'm just painting my back room and making art to throw in a closet to for no one to see. So... You did okay? we we did did we even get to answer that question? I don't even did we what was the original question? We meandered. Why, why do you still go to Creative South? Oh it's kinda like a progression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and well I like the business part of hanging out with designers. I think there's a lot of uh cool insight as like the way the creative ways that like businesses address identity and then how it like feeds into like the business solutions and the processes. So you're like, you know, you meet designers and you meet people who do like, who are really specialized, but then you meet people who are just like, they're kind of bosses with business and they're business analysts. And all of that is super interesting to me outside of what I do um, in my studio. So I'm always curious about gleaning information from that. And then it's also kind of interesting to be um, just adjacent to something and be able to kind of like dip your toes in. I think there's a lot of, um, I've learned a lot of really interesting things by not being a designer in the design world, by being like an artist hanging out with designers. So um, yeah, I kind of like that scenario. Mm-hmm. Because are there other artist conferences that are more art-heavy, business art-heavy? I think there are. Um, see, I kind of, like, this is another reason I kind of like to straddle the two worlds, is, like, the art world is driven by a lot of, like, old-school ideas um, that I'm not psyched about. I'm not psyched about the relationship between, like, uh, commercial galleries and artists, Um I'm not psyched about this sort of like art is for everyone attitude and we have to like get grants and justify our existence like with every move we make to get money and then it has to involve something where we're teaching the children. Like, no. I mean, I love kids. I don't love teaching them. But like, I just, fucking art's important other than like mm -hmm. me being a person who comes into an elementary school and is like the artist in residence like I've got serious shit to make I don't want to play there and I also don't want to like uh, like dink with my prices so that like a commercial gallery can take like 50 or 60 percent of the price of my work that puts me in a weird position too because I can't sell my work myself for the prices I would need to ask. So like you run into like all this weird market shit. Um, and it's just like this week we're over here with this. And then like, if you're a professional artist, you're doing this. But then if you're like a teaching artist, you're like running for grants. And then if you're in academia, like you have to justify your existence by having exhibitions and, you know, doing research. It's just like, it almost is like an impediment to actually just making work. Mm -hmm. It's cool how you've commercialized your work in a way that I wouldn't imagine you would learn how to do in those other circles. Yeah. It doesn't quite fit in that you're straddling those two worlds, like you said. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, um, yeah, all that was totally on accident. Like, uh, 
a series of unfortunate events landed me um, into that like specific niche. Um, I guess you should probably talk about like what the company is that I do. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that would be a good it's idea. It's going to be really difficult. It's like hard enough to explain on a regular, like when I meet people in person. Um, so, um, I run a small company called Cliff House. And the way I explain it to people is that I work with hospitality art agencies to expand their services. Um, and that could mean anything from um, kind of enhancing their GCLAs um, to creating, doing research and development for products they're interested in creating for a client. Um, just doing like goofy stuff like doing a resin um, coat coating over like a canvas. So um, I fell into that completely on accident because I worked for a, a, a hospitality company. And just because I didn't burn the bridge down and like found my way to the purchasing department, they started working with me for things that didn't involve curation. I figured when I left the company that they'd be contacting me to like curate when my work kind of matched a, a creative brief they got from a client. Um, and it, I ended up falling into something a lot more interesting than that. So, um, and now I, you know, I'm busy from about September to the end of December, um, working on those jobs and they're really fast turnarounds. So, you know, you have like a week to do a job and you ship it out and it's super fast. And I fell in love with just the process of like editing and doing things on top of other people's work. Um, because I don't know that the listener would understand what that looks like. Could you go into that? It's fascinating. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'll just give you a description of a couple jobs that I've done recently. Um, so oftentimes a hospitality client, like a hotel, will come to um, one of the companies I work with um, and say, we're going to be redoing our art package for our guest rooms. Uh, guest rooms refer to the rooms you actually stay in when you're at a hotel as opposed to the public space, which is like the, the, um, like the main lobbies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so they have asked the company I work with to design an art package, which includes, um, framed prints or, um, artwork based on a brief, um, which usually is like fabric swatches and colors and stuff like that. Um, and then the company comes to me and they say, we want to do a wall hanging piece that is, has an ombre finish. Um, we're thinking macrame. They'll send me some images of what they're thinking. They like the inspiration images are and they ask me what I can create. Um, so that process takes a little while. And then we moved on to the, um, the prototyping process where I'm actually creating wall hangings based on the brief and the outline that the client or uh, my company and the art hospitality company has worked out. Um, and then we get approval. And then, um, as soon as the hotel opens a new a location, they'll place the order for art. Um, and then I'll make like 320 wall hangings to send with the art package that my client is doing. So that's one example. Wow. For each room and it'll be like above the bed or in the corner in the same spot in each room. Yep, exactly. So, and that's a really fun, I mean, I'm just, I don't do any, um, manufacturing. It's all me. So it's all handmade. 
Um, and if I manage to work it in the budget, I might hire people to help me on a project by project basis. Um, another example is if they have a, um, like a large digital um, G clay, like a high quality um, digital print on canvas, um, they can't afford, the hotel chain can't afford to purchase original art. Their budget just won't allow it, but they do want something like a step up from a regular print. So they'll send it to me and I'll do anything from uh, adding texture with like a gesso glaze um, to actually adding metallic finishes or um, on one piece I actually did color matching and like painted over 80% of the image to make it look like it was a painting. Wow. Um, so it's just like they get, they kind of throw anything at me and they're like, can you do this? And then I quote it and then we go from there. So it's really, it's fun work because it's always different. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like, yeah, you're painting on top of a print, the most important parts of where I guess you want the person's eye to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just depends. Yeah, there's a lot of control. Like, I mean, they we're, we have the kind of relationship now where they're just like, you know, 80% cover and clear glaze, we trust you. Do it. So Creative freedom. That's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a niche. Yeah. yeah. It's a really weird place to land in, but I'm really grateful. It's like satisfying work. I don't feel drained after I'm doing, even though I'm not like creating my own work, I'm not that kind of artist. I don't have to constantly be like making from my brain. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of nice to have the compartmentalized sections of my year so that I can focus on personal work when things are slow and then pick up on the, the contracted work after. Yeah. Have you figured out why there's those slow times? Is it like they just tend to build during certain phases of the year? Or it's it's budget. It has to do with budget. Like the turnover okay. the fiscal year, they have to spend their money. So Got that's it. usually what happens. By a certain time. Yep. Sense. Well, that's cool. I love, I'm checking out your shop too. Oh gosh. The different pattern work you do. <laughs> no, I love it. And like, do you use a service to print? I see all these patterns on pillows mm-hmm. that like I could potentially buy for my own home too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which service do you use for that? Right now, I have things um, posted through Redbubble, and I'm there's, it's so it's like it's really cool because all these new uh, companies keep popping up, and they're like, oh, we can print this on mm-hmm. furniture, we can print this on your butt, like you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of keep an eye on that to see if it's something. Don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> I think it would be up. your new niche. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Oh, that's cool. Because I've heard of Spoonflower because they're based out of Durham, where you can have your own storefront through there. But I didn't know that you could have your own storefront with products from Redbubble. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, there's like shirts and I don't know. It's hard. I want to be able to stage the the things mm-hmm. myself because I feel like that's really important if you're doing like a more commercial type work if you're interested in selling it like you really need to stage it and um not leave anything to people's imaginations mm-hmm. like kind of like interior design when you're mocking that up you really need to kind of paint the picture for people so to speak right like it's not just their same stock pillow that they plop your design on with like all of your 25 million other patterns yeah yeah <laughs> with no organization yeah that's cool because do you make your ombre 
wall hangings for is it that's for mainly commercial people too though right like you're not trying to gear towards um b2c well yeah it de- it depends i don't know um i have like because i've been doing the one project where i was developing ombre um wall hangings like i mean you do a lot of making and it kind of makes its way into your work so um i have been I made a few things just with like the extra materials I was using for the prototypes mm-hmm. um, and like tried to put them together in a way. Like I think the one I have on my website has like jade stones on it. My mom's like all into the woo-woo textury stuff. So I was like, I wonder if this would work. And then, um, you know, it wasn't too bad. So I was like, maybe I'll go further with this. And then I'm like, mm, nah, I won't. <laughs> Yeah, the jade helps keep spirits away. That's, That's right. what the jade's for. Mm-hmm. Yep. The energy. Keep them out. Yeah. <laughs> I like they used indigo in that too. Like it's a common color throughout your work, isn't it? Oh, uh, blue. blue. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's beautiful. Doing indigo. Like, have you guys ever done the indigo vats? Like, or the um, shibori dyeing? Have you uh, tried that process? No. Ugh, it's so fun. Not as much as I want to. Yeah, I do want to do it. I only get to do it like once a month now that we have kids. <laughs> I had I used to take these like pilgrimages to Greenville, North Carolina. I have a, a good friend who works at the university there. And we just like would come with carloads full of shit. And we're like, we're just going to dye all this indigo. So like mm-hmm. we had like articles of everything from articles of clothing to like She's a, she makes paper, so she would have, like, handmade paper she had dunked. I brought all of my watercolor paper. I had a whole stack of it. Um, There's just barrels in the woods you found? Is that what this is? Yeah. It's, like, yeah. Witch, some witchy shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you do indigo dyeing. You had to find it in the woods. You find it in the woods. You have to have your protection crystals. Yeah. The jade. The, the jade. jade. Yep couple chickens to sacrifice absolutely it helps make the dye stick you actually dump it in the, the bl- dye the blood yeah it makes it thick so it sticks to all your clothing <laughs> <laughs> and that's the story of christmas and uh... <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're making fun of the chicken sacrifices but there's a and you keep calling it the woohoo witchy stuff but there's a lot of it in your artwork. Yeah. Do you just do you just love the way it feels? I, I don't think you adhere to it very much. Um, I like the visual, the visuals mm-hmm. for it. Um, I mean, my my like six tarot decks that I don't do readings from. I just <laughs> get lost when I. I don't know. I don't know how much I adhere to it, but it's fun. Like if you're stuck creatively, just to like go through the rider deck yeah just like something like that absolutely yeah a lot of the um the work i the like the the work about oh jesus christ let me spit that out again (laughs) (laughs) um the work i made previously i have a lot of blue and gold paintings and um the term glyph comes from using like old icons and stuff from like runes and alchemy symbols um just to like take 
some like light meaning like they're just like suggestions and then kind of composing them arbitrarily and then making up a new narrative about it um and making it your own like i mean i feel like that's kind of the way you do tarot cards you know um I mean, that's kind of what it started out as. And then um, that body of work pushed me into the work I'm doing now. So um, hence the name Glyph House. So it is pretty important. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The last acrylic canvas you did, the uh, pink and gold with the blue orbits above it. Mm -hmm. Um, I just see there's so much progression in this one on your personal work. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like just not holding on to, but like a some remnant of when you were beginning to mm-hmm. now. It just feels like a journey. And I know it's really fun for people to listen to me describe <laughs> your your visual artwork in an audio format. <laughs> but it feels like there's a literal trail from the past to what you're going towards in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, well, I think um, art, visual art, Probably more than that, but like for for me, the visual art is like um, learning a language that you're constantly like building on yourself, like and you're creating your own lexicon that you're like kind of drawing and reinventing and then kind of churning into new things. So yeah. like nothing is ever really lost, um, but it does evolve. So I've I've picked up a lot of momentum since I moved to Rhode Island um, on my personal work. I know. I finally moved to North Carolina. I know. And I get here, and that's when you leave. I know. It was really sad. I just, I couldn't take it. Courtney moved away from the city, and I had to leave. Yeah, I have a great studio here, so that really helps. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like, even in this painting, the one that looks like the the weird threes mm-hmm. um, that no one can see um, because podcast, um, there's still going to be like gold glyphs. There'll be triangles like woven into them still. Um, Cause I just can't let it go. You know, <laughs> triangles, triangles everywhere and circles. And weird threes. Yes. Yeah, it's just turning into a Jim Carrey movie. Like, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, I think you kind of tiptoed around it earlier, and I don't know if you meant to or if you were being nice or whatever, but I would imagine the art world, similar to a design world, can quickly fall into feeling kind of like a boys' club Mm. or like the men's zone. And there's um, a lot of your work kind of intrinsically feels strong and female. Mm -hmm. How much of that are you doing on purpose and how much is just like coming off of who you are yeah I think that's a interesting question um I think as your identity is like a significant part of like doing fine artwork and that you're do- it's self-expression. It's either you or it's like you reacting to the things around you. So um, I identify pretty strongly as a feminist. And I've worked really hard to kind of hone, um, like you said, a strong feminine presence. Um, and 
I don't want to shy away from that at all. Um, and I think there's there's an interesting thing happening where they just like um, I don't want to piss anybody off, but there's like this feminine takeover. And it's, I'm not just talking about like women are going to rule the world. Like there's a like a softening of gender happening as people are kind of like finding their place on the spectrum. Um, so I feel like the work I'm making actually has more of a conversation in the art world now than it did. Um, I actually had a really horrible experience when I was coming out of my undergrad. Um, a teacher I adored and who taught me everything I know about color um, pulled me aside one day and was like, um, I need you to know that you're, you're not, he didn't say you wouldn't be successful, but like basically you're never going to be cool. Like your work is never going to be hip and cool because it's too beautiful and that's not good. And, um, you know, there's just, you talk to somebody and there's like one thing that kind of floats up and you just like hold it forever. Like that was a thing. And I mean, I, I am really excited about like traditional kind of beauty. Um, I don't make work that's ironic. I don't make the work that's funny. Um, like that's my job. That's your job. Um, I don't love cartoons like as a, as like looking at for art, like, um, so like, and I'm super, and I'm like, the work is pretty like serious too. Um, so with that, such a strong centered identity as that feminist present you're talking about, how do you take that and maneuver in kind of that old world men's club that you find yourself in, in design and in the art world. Mm -hmm. I think you're right talking about um, there's a softening of the gender thing, but I almost wonder if it's just us becoming more healthy as a society. And I can only speak specifically for America because that's where I live, but with more men being called to uh, acknowledge their feelings mm -hmm. and just learn what vulnerability looks like through countless Netflix specials that nobody watches, but their mom sends them summaries of. <laughs> and, you know, women being encouraged to, you know, whatever you want to call the Me Too movements and that kind of stuff. And I don't know how much you want to get into that, but so how do you take that identity that you were talking about and use that to maneuver in the business you find yourself in? Yeah. Um, I think probably it's like my strategy across the board has always been, um, to align myself with their goals and create community, I guess. Um, so it's not like a me against you. Um, I don't often confront people about this kind of attitude. Um, you know, if I find somebody who's kind of abrasive, um, and masculine, and, like disrespectful, I don't, um, I won't confront them directly but I will work to kind of align myself and understand and find a way to some common ground and common goals. Um, so for example, if I see an opportunity, like I look for opportunities, um, especially like, and I, I, I pick my battles too. I only go and do this and expend the energy where I, I'm, I mean, it sounds kind of selfish, 
but I, where I get the mo I'm going to get the most out of the situation. So for example, um, when I moved into my studio space, there's, we have this, it's a huge mill building. There's a million different kinds of artists and creative businesses here. Um, and I was like, well, this is super interesting. And then like uh, another artist who I'd met through a gallery opening, um, moved in, he has a studio here too. And, um, I just like, I wanted to kind of figure out what they were doing because he seemed to be selling a lot of work. I wanted to know who he knew and how, like, just basically find a reason to network. Yeah. Um, so I started with uh, another business um, here in the, it's called Hope Artist Village, um, just like a Hope Artist Tenant Meetup. So we get together and we talk and we do like presentations at each of our businesses. Um, and it's led to a lot of really interesting things, um, like having a conversation with one of the guys upstairs who sells like hundreds of thousand dollars worth of work every year. Um, that basically he used to do really academic, thinky work, and he just was like, you know, couldn't get the the price he needed for it. So he just kind of ditched it. And now he does like just happy scenes of Rhode Island and Rhode Island brands, and like people go nuts for the stuff and he doesn't have to sell it for super expensive. Um, so he really has like met his sweet spot. So having an opportunity to kind of like chat with him. So there's another guy who's like really, really like hard hitting. Um, and his energy is super, like he kind of bulldozes people. Um, and I kind of want to harness that for good even though like in the wrong situation, he could be really super abrasive, <laughs> but sure. in the right situation, um, you know, like I think there could be some really interesting things that happen out of like a, a mutual relationship. Mm -hmm. So that was a really long no, response to that. But um, yeah. I also think about 50% of the people I encounter, like I just, I intimidate and I don't have time for that. <laughs> so. how dare you have an opinion and share it with people <laughs> it's probably because you're not funny and you don't like jokes that's absolutely the reason that's why <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we should explain that a little more but i don't want to i'll just i'll take the heat for that if people think that was a jerk joke it's not a it's not a joke i had to marry someone to learn about jokes and then, um, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I still don't like jokes. <laughs> or being funny or absurd things. I take this seriously, damn it. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I had you on the show just so you could tell me you don't like cartoons <laughs> and funny things. Oh, man. Yeah. And and white man, cheese Louise. Jeez. I'm going to get so many letters. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not. No one. <laughs> the, the 10 people that listen to this show probably agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> right, Dylan? <laughs> Hi, Dylan. <laughs> um. Yeah, so <laughs> the power, huh? That was a good book. Oh my gosh, I'm still like I'm still 
processing like, it. Yeah, I'm still processing. I'm also trying to figure out another book for us to read. Um, oh, good. I thought you had yeah. gotten mad at me. No, 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 definitely not. I'm like, it has to be as good as the power was. Um, otherwise, it's not worth like putting our heads together on. Um, yeah, that book was amazing and such an interesting thought um, experiment to see, like, to actually spell out what happens literally if the coin was flipped the other side of the coin, if like women had all the power. Do you want to give a synopsis real quick? Sure. Confused. Yeah. So the, the premise of the book is that teenage girls suddenly um, have the power to generate electricity and fry people um, based on like, like chemical whatever's from living in a shit planet forever. Um, <laughs> and then they can awaken that power in other women. So like it's, it spreads across the globe and there's mayhem and it's like a dystopian thing. And then before you know it, like all hell is breaking loose and you're like kind of flipping things around in your head, trying to figure out like, wait, wait a minute. Like it's, it was really fun. And also like, it was, so it was, it was, I want to know how you feel about this act. Like, as a woman reading this, like initially, like the first half of the book, it was super cathartic to like be like tasting the character who has the power to like electrocute people who just kind of treat her shitty. Um, it felt really cathartic. Like I was sitting on the couch twirling my hair, stoned, yeah. eating Reese's Pieces. Like it felt real good. Had did you? How did you feel about that portion, like that thing where the, you can sort of sense the power shift coming, where you're like, ugh, this is icky? Um, I was not upset about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was parts of it with the, I don't want to ruin anything, but the one character, Abigail, mm-hmm. who starts, she's the one who hears the, the voice, right? Mm-hmm. When she starts to kind of go through her specific character arch, it felt like I was like, "Oh no, how could she do that to that guy?" And I'm like, "Oh, because he was doing this, and now that it's just what the other person, what, what he would have done." It, but, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> we've had a good run. You guys, <laughs> you guys take over. Well, y'all, y'all can have a shot at this. <laughs> Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. I, um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, let, let's just let them take over. Let the women have it. <laughs> like they say many times in the book, we've known what happens when men run this. When, you know, kind of the darker back half where there was a little, we had a couple of issues with some stuff in there. Yeah. But the, the leader of the new country I won't spoil keep saying we know what happens when men run things we can't let them have it back mm-hmm. which leads to some maybe a few stretches but still I think it comes to a good ending at yeah. the end of the book yeah hmm. it's definitely had a lot of comparisons to Handmaid's Tale yeah which uh, I can see the that same author isn't it no it's a different author she this I is a, a younger British lady Mm-hmm. whose name I can't think of right now because vodka. Alderman. Um, 
Naomi Alderman. I think it's Naomi Alderman. Okay. I believe that's it. Yeah. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be cool. But yeah, by the end of it, especially the epilogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's uh, just, um, she verbatim uses some letters that she received from men. Because it's supposed to be like the author of the book, but in the future, and it's like a rejection letter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I won't spoil anything, but it's a, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little on the nose, I get it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was good, though. I recommend. I recommend it. What were we talking about? Vodka? Vodka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you just drinking straight vodka? What's in there? <laughs> Sweet tea and vodka. Oh, that's nice. Tasty. I mean, you can't get it anymore. You don't live in the South. <laughs> Shame. 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 That Snapple goodness. Or is, yeah. Did you brew it yourself? <laughs> okay. Both. Lift <laughs> nice tea bags. What's up? Yes. With Splenda, because that's what my life is now. Yeah, we're my old. <laughs> we have to watch what we eat and stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to recover from the feminist male conversation without <laughs> trying to sound like a white knight or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I sound like a white knight. How how can we be better, men? Uh, men? Yeah. How about how about let's let's rephrase that? How can we be better as humans? Okay, fuck you. That's not what I asked. <laughs> okay, men. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. You got a tight five. You've been working on. Let's let's. Uh, I guess we're gonna that's go there. A, that's a joke reference. Oh well, that's so meta. <laughs> why I'm not laughing. Um. <laughs> you have to watch Miss Maisel. Wait, that's how men can be better? Oh, no. To understand your joke. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, How can men be better? Um, I'm trying to decide how to, like, come at this. Um, I'm trying to think of all the men in my life who I have, like, beef with. Or secret beef, because I don't... Like, it's not real beef. It's just, like... um, Secret beef sounds like a Bojack Horseman episode. <laughs> Secret beef. Um, I think it's just like self awareness is really like key. Like, I mean, this would go for any human. Like, self awareness, check your insecurities, um, be curious about the people around you. Um, Listen, 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 listen. Um, drop any, drop the judgment. Like the moment I feel judged in a scenario, I'm, I shut down. You're done. Sure. You don't have access to me anymore. Um, that actually did happen at Creative South. Oh no. Yeah, I was. I've. I. Yeah, I just. Yeah. It was. It was sad. But there's a lot of guys. I mean, there's a lot. It's. There's a lot of dudes there. There's a lot of ladies there too, but um, there's still like a weirdness that happens. So, um, 
Yeah, those are my main tips, and we could definitely dive deeper into those, but, like, this is your, you know, like, bullet well, point version. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I know that those were really, you know, those are things that everyone can do mm-hmm. better, especially the judgment one. Um, it's one thing as my kids keep getting older, just realizing how much you don't know is going on in someone else's head. Mm-hmm. Even someone you're around like all the time. Yeah. And I'm not trying to get into like the, Oh, I have a daughter now. So I understand feminine, you know, <laughs> issues that women have. Cause that's not what it is. But like as a human being and mm-hmm. being better humans and everybody being a little more gentle and a little more, a little less judgmental, a little more giving, mm-hmm. like just being, uh, I'll get an example. My daughter just got fish for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And um, this morning I was trying to figure out if the kids had fed the fish before we left to take them to school. And my son always is trying to make me laugh. <laughs> like that's just his main goal in life. And June is too, but Ransom this morning was in a particular mood. <laughs> and... um I was like, did you guys feed the fish? And he looks at me and he says, no. And then starts shaking his head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, you just remind me of this because with the bee, less judgmental, my mind, in, I instantly got mad at him. Yeah. I didn't even take a second to realize that he was trying to just make me laugh. Yeah. I instantly went into, if I feed the fish again, they will die because <laughs> you did this and didn't tell me the truth. Yeah. Instead of meeting him where he was, I was so quick to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Like how much of a cool moment that I miss out on? Cause I was so fast to jump to that. Yeah. Sorry. That was a weird tangent, but it was definitely a good point. Oh no. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think all relationships could use a dose of like, just no judgment whatsoever. And to slow down a bit, um, I mean, that's the only reason I'm still married is because, like, I had to learn how to, like, I mean, luckily I have a partner who's, like, legit no judgment. Like, I mean, I could come in covered in blood with a knife in my hand dragging a head and he'd be like, oh, (laughs) so tell me about this. And, uh, you know, okay. (laughs) And uh, it's been, like, a really important lesson for me, especially as, like, kind of a person who has a lot of anxiety and uh, definitely, like, come from a – there's lots of insecurity in there to be able to, like, approach a relationship with, like, knowing that I won't be judged and that I am not going to judge either is, like, super magical. So I am always, like, kind of, like, what happens – if you can do that with everyone you meet, mm. you know, what would that be like if you, you know, I just think of all the like the awesome magic that would happen mm-hmm. between people. It sounds like coming to a situation without preconceived notions or dismissing the other person before you hear them out to yeah. kind of develop that empathy with them is a way that you open your mind and learn about different people. Yeah. I think it's hard though too. I mean, like when you're at a, like a big conference, like creative South, you're like, you know, you're looking for your tribe. You're looking, I mean, you're there among your people, but like, you're looking for your, like your people. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, where are the, where are the people in the heavy metal t-shirts with the tattoos? Um, you know, like 
you know, you're just like looking to put people in boxes and then you're like Mm -hmm. insecure and like, um, you know, it's just like, it's really difficult in those scenarios, I think, to do that. So whenever I'm there, um, when I'm not being irate about (laughs) being ignored by a guy, by a guy in a conversation, um, like I try to remember that. <laughs> oh, I want to hear this story so bad, but I, oh. I probably also don't need to hear it right now. Well, yeah, it's like it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it all comes yeah. down to like everyone feeling a little insecure and weird, um, and and that's that. I was really irate at the moment, but no. Like in hindsight, like everything's cool. <laughs> check my shit. I'm good. Check. <laughs> yeah, because you don't have to think about that guy until you see him again next year. That's right. And then be like, <laughs> be like, hey, remember how awkward and weird it was yeah. when you didn't look at me when we were introduced? <laughs> yeah. <No>. Anyway. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Wait, how many people were in this conversation? Uh, there were three, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't even count as conversation. Someone introduced me to someone else, um, and the person being introduced like shook my hand and made eye contact, but like went on to like kind of derail the conversation I was having with the other person and just like kind of do their own thing and never looked at me again. As I stood there and kind of open, you know, you did the physical thing where you kind of open the circle to that person to like invite them into the conversation and the idea is becomes the three of you talking not just like the two other people talking right um yeah that happened basic human interaction yeah it happened twice 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 same dude nope different dudes but always dudes yeah sorry (laughs) no don't be sorry I didn't do it. You don't have to be sorry to me. <laughs> sorry, listeners. They were Why? both dudes. <laughs> no, it's um uh I I understand the trope of white oh what's the stupid thing that people say, like crying liberals and that whole shit where like people feel bad about stuff they had nothing to do with. Oh yeah. Like Oh, can't think of the name of it. But, um, no, I definitely understand where that comes from. Like, as a white dude, (laughs) (laughs) like, most of the stuff that happens is caused by us. You know, not us. I don't know all the other... (laughs) I don't know if you guys know us. We don't all know each other. (laughs) Into the conspiring with your secret societies. Yeah. Like the Knights of Columbus. Who told you about the Knights of Columbus? <laughs> My dad was a member of the Knights of Columbus. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. That's where all the tarot cards come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he passed them on to you when he went into that uh, the ritual and didn't come back. Yeah. Is that what the Knights of Columbus are? <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a good job. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, white people. White guys specifically <laughs> how much hate mail are you gonna get after this episode <laughs> i don't check the email um, <laughs> um, 
Courtney, will you look at the email? Yeah. <laughs> I'll monitor it. I don't You probably should not read the things that will come in the emails. Um, trying to, so I was hanging out with our friend Lydia at Creative South. Mm-hmm. And um, we were walking, we were in the hotel, and I think I was going to go take a nap. And she was going to grab something out of her room or whatever. We were getting on the elevator. And we were talking about Hank Washington's awesome talk this year. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. Yes. Um, and his talking about uh, the need, our, his desire to see more black representation in design mm-hmm. and just more minority and um, like getting rid of the idea of like the token designer on the team. Yeah. You know, just fitting in, just making sure you get your affirmative action numbers. Mm. Yeah. And like he, he said he had, um, if you guys haven't uh, heard this, any of the listeners, um, Creative South is selling like streaming of their speakers and it's worth it for this year was wonderful. Probably one of the best years of Creative South. And like I've, Courtney and I have said before, we've been there a lot, but Hanks was one of the best talks this year. Agreed. But, um, okay, vodka. I can edit yeah. this part out. <laughs> um, he had a client tell him that he's like, uh, the client said, Oh, I thought you were a white guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was just like, Why? Why would, how does that, where does that, and I don't remember if Hank said this or if this was us talking about it, but, I don't understand where that mindset would come from, that that would be a thought that you would have. Mm-hmm. But then to say it yeah. when you found out that he wasn't. Yeah. Like, that's like. You fail. I don't, yeah. Um, and now, you know, I don't want to dive too far into, pol- into politics and where the country is because everybody knows it's a shithole and they're. Some people maybe listen to this to not think about politics and where this country is. So I won't bring it up too much, but like white supremacy groups are on the rise. Men's rights groups exist way more than they should. The time where racists used to just sit like in their back rooms and talk to each other and not on the internet mm-hmm. are not are gone. And I wish they would come back. <laughs> <laughs> Never get rid of racists, but I wish they would just talk to each other and not to everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we were talking about this and just like what that mindset looks like and why people would even have a problem with that kind of representation. And since I know all white guys, I'll speak for all of us. <laughs> I think a lot of us are afraid of losing our position mm-hmm. like growing up I never knew what privilege was and it almost feels like now people are realizing people white guys are realizing what privilege is because they're afraid of losing it mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah yeah oh yeah absolutely even that question like having to rethink all this stuff whenever I ask people does that make sense I understand that some people could be offended by that because it almost sounds like I'm asking if you understand what I said. But for me personally, it's an insecurity that I have that I'm worried about 
am I making sense? Right. Yeah. Am I communicating my thoughts yeah, clearly? Yeah. Am I? Because <laughs> you know we all grew up with bullies, and anyway, I won't get into that. It's just that's a holdover from my bullying mm-hmm. in middle school. It's making sure I'm speaking clearly and people understand. But I understand. I, I think <laughs> I'm not losing my place on the stage or my place in line or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It's just now we've realized the stage is bigger yeah, and that there's more opportunities for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's where the softening of those gender biases needs to come from too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that was a question. It definitely wasn't, but I, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was telling the story. So I'm telling Lydia all of this. <laughs> And then we go in the elevator and um, <laughs> this sounds like a joke. Two black ladies and an Asian lady walk into the <laughs> elevator <laughs> while I'm in the middle of, and, uh, and white guys need to work on this because the stage isn't smaller. It's getting bigger for everybody. And <laughs> they kind of look at me out of the side of their eyes. It's like the side and Lydia's just, she's, she just starts laughing because she realized what happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then um, one of the girls turns around and she's like, I was like, uh, I, I said, um, I started, I realized how funny the situation was. And I started talking a little louder and I was like, but we're not losing our positions. The stage is bigger and we're going to share with everybody. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And she turns around and looks at me. And she's like, and you don't need to apologize for your race either. Mm. And that going back to what we're talking, you know, that white guilt mm-hmm. that's kind yeah. of inherent in kind of the political scene right now. Mm-hmm. I didn't choose this. Yeah. I pointed at myself, listeners. I didn't choose <laughs> <laughs> any of this. It's just where I'm at. Yeah. And I was like, that's a good. Quit apologizing for the stuff that you can't control, white men, and just don't be assholes. Mm-hmm. Pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah, I so um, I have been to the um, weapons of mass creation, and they have um, last time I went, I think it was last year, two years ago. um, Two years ago, they had a really great panel of as many kind of diverse voices as they could pull together, Um, and is really awesome because they talked about like the most annoying things that happen to them in the design kind of realm, you know, like basically people coming to them and asking them like, okay, I, I know I'm, I got some work to do. I need you to tell me the work I need to do instead of like you figuring out your own thing. Um, and I think that's something that collectively we all need to work on, especially, um, you know, we in tech, we in design, even in the art world, like, Everything kind of gets sequestered to your little bubble, especially if you're a person of privilege, um, and you reach out within your bubble. So um, a company I used to work for basically would work through their own UNC network to pull new people into the business. Um, so you got the same kind of people in. There's a real like problem with like the diversity of thought, not to mention like the entire organization was all white and mostly men. Um, and you really have to like, you have to be conscious about breaking out of that network and finding ways to kind of purposely pull 
people who are not like you into your network. Um, I actually started doing this on my social media account. And the great thing about social media accounts is like, they're like, oh, you like this? How about this, 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 and this? That's just like this new thing that you just liked. So um, I have been, I look at a lot of interior design. I look at a lot of artists and I um, buy following people of color, people who are not like me, people who make things that are different than me. Um, my curated look at art and design has kind of naturally evolved to people who um, don't look like me. And that's actually really enriching. And now it doesn't like if opportunities come up, it doesn't seem that difficult to like pull those people in and kind of dole out what makes sense. Um, part of my vision for Glyph House is to have um, to represent artists um, through kind of this unique program that would be like passive income for them. But like I want to curate artwork and artists um, who wouldn't you know, who don't, aren't like the ones that are going to be represented by commercial galleries. I want the ones who are saying really cool shit, the ones who are speaking truth, the things that are a little edgy. Um, and I want, I want to kind of bring them into this weird niche world that my business has become and like, and offer up these folks um, to connect with the folks that I know, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's all community. I've come at this really like collaboratively and community, like, um, rather than viewing myself as a person who's going to, you know, dole out opportunities. Like that's a real shitty way to look at it. Um, I want to build community. Um, and I don't want to hear from fucking white dudes, um, about it. And I don't want to hear from people who are like me, I want to be told, I want to hear about everyone else's experiences. So, um, you know, and Antoinette Carroll has said, like, your job as a privileged person, regardless of what level of privilege you're at, is to take the privilege and use it for good and to pass it on. So. Amen. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't think we're going to get better than that. I always like to let's just have Antoinette like end every episode. I'll find a quote for everything. Did she does she end other episodes? No, but going you forward. Should. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I absolutely think yeah. She's doing amazing work. I love following her work. Um Yeah. So I have a question for you, Zach. Mm-hmm. You are interviewing a painter. Why? Some more vodka. No, this is water, oh. but I put vodka in it. <laughs> I want to expand my platform and talk to people that aren't just designers. Because <laughs> everyone that I know talks to designers. <laughs> and within the same circles. Mm-hmm. It can get... um pretty um uh incestuous <laughs> yes yeah thank you i was gonna say masturbatory but that yeah. incestuous <laughs> uh, like how do we soften that <laughs> yeah <I can't, laughs> go down after, a shade after our past conversation <laughs> let me think of a better uh echo chamber is a is a, <laughs> a good nice word one. yes yeah. that's a good one yep yeah 
<laughs> hey, I'm trying to be better. I'm not there yet. But... Yeah. Um, that's the short answer. Mm-hmm. The other answer is that I like you. I think you're very funny, and I wanted to talk to you for an hour and a half. That's a huge compliment, too, because I, yeah. I, and I've told you this, um, you are the only design podcast I listen to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'll get the hate mail. That's fine. <laughs> Water vodka. Nikki, thank you for joining us tonight. It was a lot of fun. Yes, I had a lot of fun, too. Thank you for having me. Um, is there anything you're working on now you want to share with people or where they can find you online or anything? Um, yeah. So you can find me online at glyphhouse.com and that is G-L-Y-P-H-H-A-U-S.com. Um, or Instagram, it's Nikki underscore Litz, N-I-K-I underscore L-I-T-T-S. Um, I'm actually going to be doing a call for art um, with Glyph House soon. Um, the submission process will be free, which is um, rad because it costs money to apply to shows, and that's not what this is. Um, I'll have some information on a page on a website once you submit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I want to make fucking rad art together. Awesome. This sounds yeah. dope. I'll uh, share more details when you send them to me. Sounds good. But, um, yeah, thanks again. Thank and, you, uh, guys. And we'll talk to you soon. Yes, heart hands. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. 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 That was it. That was our conversation with Nikki. It went a lot of places, and uh, it, it went back to other places, and then it went back to other places. And I can't believe she said that one thing when she said it. Do you remember that thing she said, Courtney? No. No, no, not that thing. The other thing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I can't believe she said that on a podcast. <laughs> We're going to have to edit that out. And then she said that guy's name. Oh, no. Uh, the shame. Ugh. I don't know how we're going to get this show past the Apple people. <laughs> Spotify is going to kick us off. But anyway, thank you guys for joining us on Creatoring this week. Uh, it's a lot of fun hanging out with Nikki. And I'll put all of her, the books that we talked about in the show notes as well as links to her website and Instagram. Um, you can follow us on Creatoring on Instagram. And we're not on Twitter because it's awful. Uh, um... Hold on a second. I forgot the name of our theme song. Yeah, you're so good at remembering it every time. No, I'm not. I have it pulled up every time, Courtney. Oh. But thank well, you. That was I think you're amazing. Nice. Okay. Um our theme song is Everything Went Quiet and I Was Eight Again by Catbeats. Uh you can find more of their stuff on catbeats.life. It'll make you happier, maybe. It's fun to listen to. Agreed. Uh, uh, thanks again. This has been Creatoring, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.
and gold. <laughs> um, what do I say about creating? Um, What's okay. our subtitle? We have like four. <sighs> um, we know what we're doing, promise. That's the fifth one. <laughs> I was in the zone, god damn it, let me do it again. We can do, this is the Fuck, intro. Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This is the intro.